Our gospel lesson is from Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 35 through 45. Hear now God's words to you. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized with? And they replied, We're able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became angry with James and John. So Jesus called to them and said, You know that among the Gentiles, those who recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. For whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. How do you choose to measure what it means to be a Christian? Do you take it at face value when somebody says they're a believer in Jesus? Our, if I remember the New Testament correctly, there are places where even the devil believes in Jesus. He just didn't follow Jesus. The convicted felon, sometimes guilty of grievous crimes, declares that he's had a conversion experience, met Jesus, and is now a changed person and wants a reduced sentence. And we sort of look at that with some skepticism, don't we? Knowing that the only real way we're going to know is over time and observation. But for that matter, how do you know what's in the heart of the person sitting next to you this morning? You don't. You cannot know what another person feels and believes. Now, I know this is a dangerous sort of way to start a sermon. These are, are dangerous questions for, to ask for. Surely if we know nothing else from Jesus, we know that we are commanded not to judge another person's faith content. And we are that. So we don't want to fall into that quicksand of trying to make judgment about who's in and who's out of God's eternal realm. But what are the marks of a committed follower of Jesus? That's really the core question. Now, I'm sure I've said to you before, once upon a time, I thought that the core values for the Christian faith was right belief, proper theology, well-defined visions of truth that can be argued successfully. And today, much of the, per the public version of Christianity that we see around us are precisely that. Somebody is asking us to buy into their vision of what the Christian faith looks like or their vision of what the morality of the faith may look like. 
And they define faith as believing what I believe and saying it the way I say it. As a person who has spent most of a lifetime worrying about Scripture and looking into theology, you know I would never say that what we believe isn't important. I'm Presbyterian. We are deeply immersed in what we say we believe and how we say it and how we construct the things we talk about God. Right belief is important. But I defy you to find any place where Jesus said, if you'll believe the following five things, everything will be all right. That's not what Jesus said. Now, having said that, Jesus did say that we were to define who He is. He commanded Peter, and, he, and Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's certainly a statement of belief, and an important one. Paul was able to say, If we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe with our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. So it's important to be able to say and know and understand those things. And yet when Jesus wanted to talk about what it meant to be a disciple, He never said, believe this and you'll live. What He said was, is follow Me. If you really want to be a disciple, then you will set your life by the example that I have set. So I want to think about that idea on this day when we do, uh-oh, the dreaded word, stewardship. Stewardship of following Jesus. We have been so programmed in the life of the church that when I say stewardship, you think money. And preachers have not been exactly helpful in that because you know this time of year we're thinking about budgets and we're worrying about next year and you've already gotten in the mail. If you're on the mailing list, set of cards looks like this. You know we're going to do this next week. Money's important. Maybe money sermons are important. Church budgets are important. But don't you think that's just a part of following Jesus? Surely that's not all there is to it. And so let me propose that you give me two minutes, maybe three, and I'll do some foundational stuff about money, and then we'll move to something entirely different and still talk about stewardship. Can we do that? Number one, money's important, and the way you give it is important. The biblical example is 10% or a tithe. That is understood as being the minimum you give back to God. It's a good formula. It works. Item two. Not everyone, including good practicing Christians, are to the tithing stage yet. It's a goal. Think of how you can, over the next perhaps several years, make progress until you reach the goal. You'll find it satisfying. Trust me in this. Number three, after you've given your tithe, it may well be that God's calling you to do other things with some of the rest of your money. There are all kinds of important Christian mission that needs to be supported outside the walls of the church. 
but only you can decide who, when, and how much. Now, that covers it. Was that three minutes? That's really about all I really want to say about money. I will not make you feel guilty. I will not tell you how to figure out the specifics of your giving. If you want to talk to me about this, pick a time and a date, and I'll be glad to, but we're not going to do it here this morning. That's all I want to say about money stewardship. But don't you think that following Jesus is bigger than just dollars and cents? So what's it like to follow Jesus? Well, the text I read for you today is the perfect example how not to follow Jesus. We've got James and John who not only want to be disciples, but they want to be the prime ministers when Jesus comes into his kingdom. When Jesus has power, they want power. They want the authority to have some ability to tell the other disciples what to do. Sometimes they refer to it as sort of a super discipleship. They want to be in charge, commanding. So often we want power. Our world is power hungry, even in matters of faith. Haven't you seen folk like that? How often do we see a church, a congregation where the leadership really is saying, what I want you to do is follow me, not Jesus. They pick one or two issues and say, these are the most important things of all, even if Jesus never said a word about them. And then they give you a long list of do's and don'ts, and they base who's in and who's out of the kingdom based not upon Jesus, but upon their perception of what it takes to follow Jesus. But Jesus has an entirely different definition of what it means to be a disciple. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, you first of all have to be a slave. Boy, that's not power, is it? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You want to follow Jesus? You want to follow this stewardship of being a Christian? Well, that's how we do it. We follow the one who ministered to the least of these, not the one who came to lord power over us. We came to minister to all in the name of Jesus, the one who would die for us. The disciples in Mark's gospel are, well, just to put it kindly, they are so dense. You read Mark's gospel and you understand they just don't get it. And Jesus is constantly frustrated with them because of it. They rarely seem to understand what Jesus is talking about in the text. And, of course, all texts are pulled from the context of the greater story but in the text for today, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and a cross. When they ask if they can sit on the right and the left hand of him, do they know what they're asking? Jesus does. They're asking if they can get crucified alongside him. But that's not what they thought. And that's sure not what they meant. We forget that we're just like that too. 
we forget that God chooses oftentimes people we don't understand to be his best servants. Martin Luther said that God is always attracted to the weak. Thus God is the God, this is Luther, thus God is the God of the humble, the miserable, the afflicted, the oppressed, the desperate, and those who have been brought down to nothing at all. Wow. It is the nature of God to exalt the humble, to feed the hungry, to enlighten the blind, to, conf to comfort the miserable and the afflicted, to justify sinners, to give life to the dead, and to save those who are desperate and damned. Martin Luther. And if we want to be disciples of this Christ, then we too have to become those who would be servants of the poor, the hungry, the blind, the miserable. Folks just like us. You remember back a few months ago, I used a phrase that came out of Andre Nowen's The Wounded Healer, that only those who are wounded can truly serve. The mistake we so often make as followers of Jesus is we think, well, once I get myself sort of perfected, then maybe I'll be able to reach out and do something for somebody else. It's logical, but it's all wrong. What we really are doing when we invite people to come to be a part of the church and thus a part of the kingdom is welcoming people just like us into our brokenness because we are. Only Christ can heal and make whole. And if we wait until we are perfected, we're going to be waiting a long time. We who would be followers of Jesus are aware that we are not perfect but we follow the one who loves us anyway and invites us to reach out into the world as he did in loving, prayerful, radical hospitality and invitation of the very ones who are also not worthy. We really do make a mistake when we try to turn Christianity into some sort of a mysterious religion of believe these five things and act in these five ways and you'll be okay. Jesus didn't instruct us to swallow some philosophical absurdity. He invites us to follow. Faith in Jesus is not having, first of all, felt something. It's not having had an experience, it's not being good enough, it's simply a willingness to follow this one and learn as we go. I'm afraid the modern church often wants what James and John wanted. We look for fame and fortune and we look for some special reward. We want faith to be identified by the things we say, not the things we do or the way we live. And so we become people of words, but not so much of action. We want religion to confirm 
our beliefs and make us comfortable. But never should real faith, should real following Jesus interfere with our comfort level. It doesn't work like that. A real faith, a deep, lasting faith, a faith that changes lives is found when we follow this one who called us. Starting out on this journey of life with the doing and the acting in ways that are comparable to the way Jesus acted. We don't need religion. It's time to throw religion out. It is nothing but empty talk. It's worse than useless. What we need is real, abiding discipleship. That's the stewardship following Jesus. And that really becomes the core of what stewardship is because it's making all of life accountable to the Savior and trying to pattern our ways and the way we spend time and gifts and abilities that also serve in the kingdom. You're not going to be perfect at it. What we're really trying to do is to be faithful today for as much as we can. And then we'll do it again tomorrow. And then we'll try to do it again the day after and all the days that come after that. And knowing us, or at least maybe knowing me, we're going to stumble and we're going to fall. We will make some less than honorable decisions. We won't treat everybody as Jesus did, but maybe, just maybe, occasionally we will get it right. And on the days when I am worse than usual at following Jesus, maybe you'll get it right. And you will become the image. And when we're both having an off day, maybe somebody else will have that sterling day and still advance the kingdom. A couple of Fridays ago, a group of men were working furiously in one of the pipe rooms up in the sanctuary trying to finish up the work so they could tear down the scaffolding for last Sunday and all the things that were going on up there. They were short-handed. And so I climbed up to lend a hand. Now, nobody ever said I was a master carpenter. <laughs> On some days I can cut a straight line and I can use a hammer, yeah, sometimes. Some of the folk working up there were in the category of being at least very good, if not master carpenters. But you don't have to be the best to be a pretty good helper. Sometimes it's just an extra pair of hands. And in this discipleship business, we don't have to be masters of the craft. We simply have to be willing to put ourselves at the disposal of the real master. Because that's what discipleship means. That's what this deeper meaning of stewardship is. It's building that relationship and following where the Lord would take us. After all, everything we have and are and think is God's gift to us. We're entrusted to take those things and use them and spend them to the best of our ability. And if you really want to talk, 
about stewardship. That's what it means. Being responsible enough to use what God has put into your hands in ways that benefit the cause of Jesus. That's the core stewardship. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus is often frustrated with those disciples because they don't get it. But we have to understand Jesus' exasperation with them doesn't mean they're not real disciples. It just means that they're still on the journey. And when we don't get it exactly right, we've got to remember we're still on the journey. We are the called, the disciple, the follower, the ones who have an understanding, maybe just a little bit, of what servant leadership is supposed to look like. And it's not easy or simple or entertaining, but it's always fulfilling. And so my prayer for us is that sometime during this time we call a season of stewardship, you can find the deeper connection you need with Jesus. That's the goal. Because when we find that goal, everything else will fall into place. That's not the stewardship sermon you expected, is it? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.